Acts chapter 9. Then Saul, still breathing out threats and murder against the Lord's disciples, he went to the high priest and he asked for letters of the synagogue of Damascus. So if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, the day came to a near game, the, uh, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone from heaven. And he fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling, astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. The power of purpose. The power of purpose. Let's pray. Father, help in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Saul is the enemy of the church. What are you laughing? Oh, I didn't pray long. If I haven't prayed before I got here, there's no use me praying a long prayer this morning to impress you. So I just need the Lord's help. <laughs> and so do you. <laughs> Saul is the enemy of the church. I mean, have you ever been around somebody that's just so hostile toward the church and hostile toward Christians? Man, I tell you, I deal with that in the public schools on a regular basis. I mean, I've had teachers just turn and they're back to me while I'm doing the school assembly. And that's in Christian schools. No, I'm like, that, that. <laughs> And you're thinking, why are they so mad? I'm an atheist. Okay, we don't have to be mad about it. <laughs> it's most atheists I've met are, I'm an atheist and God knows I'm an atheist. <laughs> I told an atheist, an atheist recently, he said, I'm an atheist. I said, do you want to believe there's a God? Do you want to believe there's a God? Because... If he does, I'm going to pray for him and God's going to reveal himself to him some way, somehow. So this, this principle, we were in Santa Cruz, California. And um, we had rented the fairgrounds. We were doing schools. And what I do in the school assembly is at the last part, I, I take about two minutes and say, this is where we're going to be Wednesday night. If you'd like to come out, we are going to do some more feats of strength and ripping of the phone books and weightlifting, etc. And then also in the night meeting, we're going to share more of our personal testimonies. Because I don't want the kids to be deceived. I want them to know if they come out at night, they're going to hear more about God. So I'm just trying to be integrous and just, just tell it like it is. And if they don't want to come, they don't have to come. They, they have a choice. And so I asked this uh, principal, I said, is it okay if I announce the night meeting? And she said, no. I'm talking about mad. She was, she was upset. No, you're not going to invite him out to your night meeting to hear about Jesus. And I just paused and I said, ma'am, can I ask you a question? And she said, yes. I said, are, are you pro-choice? Yes, I'm pro-choice. Absolutely, I'm pro-choice. And I said, well, it seemed like to me you'd want to give these kids a choice. Whether they'd want to come or not. Some people get upset when it comes to the things of God. 
And we're going to make everybody our love project, even when they're angry. I, I, I honored her that day. I did exactly what she asked me to do. You know, I didn't in, invite any of the students out at night. You know what she said to me? She walked over to the end of the assembly. She said, you're the first Christian that I've met that has kept his word. And you know, she took a stack of the tickets. She said, I'll put them on the desk in the office. It's an amazing thing that happens in people's lives when you just keep loving on them. You know, of course, when she was, you know, telling, ah, you're not going to invite them out about to hear Jesus. There's a side of me, you know, in my flesh. I feel like saying, listen, lady, I'm going to take your broom away and make you walk home. I mean, I, there was, that was inside of me. That was inside of me, but I, I, was, I was saying, God, help me to love. I mean, no, we can't just do it on our own. Well, we need God. Saul is the enemy of the church. He holds their death warrant in his hand. As a matter of fact, he uses a mafia term in Galatians 1.13. He says, I wasted the church. <laughs> he wasted the church. He's, he's having people arrested and killed, persecuting. And near Damascus, a light shows, just comes down and shone around him, and he fell to the ground. And then he hears, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Isn't it interesting that he says, why are you? He's persecuting the church. Jesus takes this thing personal. Because he says, when you're persecuting the church, you're persecuting me. You know, I, I, I got to be honest. I mean, some preachers are always bashing the church and putting the church down. You got to be careful. That's his bride. And, and Jesus, he, he takes it personal, the attacks. Now, there are some things that obviously we need to be challenged in and we need to change because there's nobody crazier than weird Christians. I mean, there's people in the body of Christ. I love them, but they, they're weird. And they do crazy things in the name of God. Some people, they preach on hell, and they look like they just got back. I mean, we need to... <laughs> and some people, you know, on purpose, they've gotten into some crazy doctrines. You know that? I mean, friends of mine. You know, there's the calling, and God takes you to purpose. He gives you purpose. But along the way, you have experiences. And you got to be careful that you don't make the experience the purpose. I'm talking about the power of purpose. And Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you kicking against the goads? I read that. What in the world is a goad? What does that mean, kicking against the goads? Well, it was a stick with, at the end, these pointed prods. And they would take and they would move the animals along by hitting them and, and, and just poking them, prodding them. And, and what Jesus is saying here, why are you kicking against your calling? What he was trying to communicate to Saul is, you don't know what you were born to do. That's why you're going in the direction that you're going. That's why you're doing what you're doing. There are two important days. One when you're born, two when you find out what you were born to do. And, and so if you're taking notes this morning, point number one is you've got to have a purpose. 87% of Americans say they were born for a reason. Only 13% say they know what that reason is. How many people live their lives just existing? 
See, the person that has no direction is a slave to his or her circumstances. The poorest person is not the individual without money, but without purpose. Without purpose, the only thing you do is just grow older. Purpose. Purpose. When I, when I speak in the public schools, if I start talking about destiny or purpose, that their life counts, those kids, they, they, they sit on the edge of their seat. They, they want to hear because everybody wants their life to matter, whether they admit it or not. And when you begin to pull on destiny, you begin to pull on purpose in a person's life. They realize they have significance. They realize they have worth. They realize they have value. And all of a sudden, they, they start coming alive. If you don't know your purpose and the hope of your calling, you start measuring yourself by other people. Competition and jealousy come out of not knowing your purpose. See, you're on a track, you're in a lane, but you're not running against the person next to you. You're running against yourself and what God has called you to do individually. If you can get purpose down in your heart and understand your uniqueness and your gift sets and what God's called you to do, you can get so free from your insecurities that you can compliment other people. Some people can't compliment anyone because they think complimenting someone is taking something from them. I'll try this side over here. We're the real people. I said that you... You can get so healed that you can compliment people because they have different gift sets. They, they have different abilities. And, and you can look at that and admire them. But, but you don't want to be them. When you take a person and you, you look at them and you make them an idol in your life because they become the benchmark and... You, you, I want to be like them. It takes away your individuality. It takes away who you are. God has uniquely designed you, and he's put you on this earth for purpose. You matter to God, and you matter to people. The youth of today, they need to hear that they're not some biological accident. But they're the offspring of Almighty God. I'm getting ready to do a school assembly. Not too long ago, I'm walking out to the gymnasium floor. And the teacher says, Donnie, you need to say something about sex today. These kids are having barnyard sex. And I looked at her. I said, what do you expect? You tell them they come from animals. <laughs> Amen, brother. That's a good point. That, that makes sense. <laughs> I'm going to encourage myself this morning. If nobody else, I'm <laughs> encourage me. You can't give me a good Pentecostal amen. I'll take a good Baptist nod. <laughs> if you can't give me a good Baptist nod, I'll take a good Methodist cough. <laughs> Did I offend everybody? Uh, I'll take a good Catholic genuine. I'll, whatever you can give. I'll offend them all. That was the... Presbyterian sneeze. <laughs> and God bless you. <laughs> Before a young person 
I said can do drugs. They have to assign a lower value to their life. They have to say, I'm not as important as I thought I was. Steve Peck in his book, he said, self-worth is the cornerstone of discipline. No one will discipline themselves if they perceive themselves as nothing. So when we tell people, you're nothing, you're nobody, you're going nowhere. You're not going to amount to anything in life. When kids are hearing that at a young age, what, what makes them feel like that they count, that they matter, that they have a purpose. So purpose is so important. And secondly, you have a purpose, and then you surround yourself with people of like purpose. That's what I tell young people all the time. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You can't fly with the eagles running around with turkeys. That's what my dad used to say. I, I didn't really get it when I was little, but I, I got older, I was right. I got some friends that are turkeys. I got to find some eagles. You ever, you ever seen an eagle in the wild? Oh, man, I've, twice. And um, it's the most majestic, beautiful. They're, they're just unbelievable. If you see, not on TV, I'm, I'm alive. They're huge. They're, they're so, I want to run, I want to be an eagle. I want to be an eagle. There's strength in being with people who have the same purpose as you do. Don't say, I can't do it, but say, we can do something I can never do by myself. A few years back, I was asked to speak to the Texas Rangers as they were entering the playoffs, baseball team, and for those that don't follow sports. But uh, Ron Washington, the manager, was our infield coach when I was chaplain and still am with the Oakland A's, as a matter of fact. God move right now in our chapel as Terry is preaching right now to the Oakland A's. And I um, became chaplain. I've been chaplain of the A's for 25 years. And Ron was our infield coach whenever I took the job as the manager for the Texas Rangers. And as they entered the playoffs, he wanted me to do a motivational talk. So I came and I spoke to the Texas Rangers. And you see, if you follow baseball or sports, a lot of times guys are doing signs now. You see a guy get a base hit, and he turns to the dugout, and he'll make some type of sign. And all of those mean something. It's, it's something that baseball players do. And, and the Texas Rangers were doing a thing where they called the bear claw, where they would get on second, and Nelson Cruz would hit a double. And then they did another thing called the antlers. They would, they would flip, they would turn like this. And when I did my talk, I was talking to him about some of the things I'm sharing with you right now about team and about purpose. And I said, you've done the bear claw, you've done the antlers, but I want to give you, it's not about me, it's about team. And to my surprise, like the next week, I mean, you know, one of their ball players, Josh Hamilton, hits a double and he turns to the dugout and he goes, and it just took off. I mean, guys were doing it, and if you saw the World Series when they were playing the St. Louis Cardinals, when guys would get a base hit, they would turn to the dugout. And what they were saying is, it's not about me, it's about team. As a matter of fact, they made a t-shirt, and it had two hands, and it said, together over Texas. And I went to the clubhouse manager when the A's were playing uh, the Texas Rangers the following year at our place, and I went into their locker room and asked the equipment manager, could I have one of the t-shirts? And he said, no, they're just for the players. And I said, I made it up. <laughs> I mean, I don't even need to brag, but I made it up. So I needed, and I, anyway, I got 
the t-shirt at home. But, um, <laughs> but it's not about me. It's about team. And, and that, that's what ministry is about in a church. It's everybody together. You have a purpose, and you surround yourself with people of like purpose. John Wooden, the great coach at UCLA, won 10 national championships in 11 years. He said the main ingredient of stardom is the rest of the team. See, unity comes when you understand purpose. If you don't understand purpose, you'll sing in the choir, and you'll try to outsing everybody. Do you notice when they were up here playing their instruments how they were just together? And then when it was time, I was watching this brother here. I, I just, he looked kind of like loving, spoon-filled John Sebastian. He was just, do you believe in magic? And then, and then um, Mr. Bass over here, could that guy, John, he's unjust. And then when he was doing his solo, he was playing the bass and he was enjoying it as much like he, huh? And then we had uh, over here, and, then, and he had, this Mr., he was on the keyboards. I, I, I was like, he, he, they were enjoying it. And they, they all came together. And Kenny, as he always does, just lifts him up. Lifting Jesus up. And the focus is not the band, but it's the unity. And when we get together. See, God says in Matthew 18, he said, if you will get an agreement, we're two of you. Come together in agreement. God says, I'll show up. A friend invited me recently to a prayer meeting. He said, Donnie, you got to come. You got to come. We're going to have hundreds of, of people praying. And that's good. That's good. But it's not how many people that are praying that makes the difference. It's the unity that they're praying in. And God says, if just two of you will get together in agreement, he said, I'll show up. I'll make a personal appearance. Oh, the power of agreement. The power of unity. If the body of Christ could only understand this principle. I mean, we got people fighting about the most ridiculous things in the body of Christ. People, churches dividing because someone didn't like the color of the church carpet. People getting upset about the littlest things. And the way you leave any job, any church, is the way you'll enter the next. Do you see the way, Kenny, Trisha, the, the way they're leaving? Blessed. And they will enter the next phase of their ministry blessed. You, you ever watch people leave church angry? <laughs> they come to the next church. Those people over there, oh man, they're a bunch of people with critical spirits. Oh, like them. And they did this to me, and they did that. Watch out. Watch out. See, a critic will always discredit themselves. If someone comes to you and they're running somebody down continually, believe me. Believe me. If you give them the opportunity, they're going to run you down. And they're going to run you down behind your back. A, a critic will always discredit a critic. Critics are never problem solvers. As a matter of fact, they, they don't build monuments to critics. Unity. The power that's in unity. And, and you see in Acts 1.14, it says, and they continued 
in one accord. Talking about unity. And, and then you see in Acts 2.46, they continue daily in one accord in the temple. Acts 4.24, and so when they heard, they raised their voices in one accord. Acts 15 and 12, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were together in one accord. The Bible says in Acts 8, 6, and the multitudes in one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. Acts 15, shall I go on? 25, and it seemed good to us being assembled in one accord. I didn't say Honda Accord, I said one accord. One accord in prayer and supplication. One accord in the temple. One accord in worship. One accord in signs and wonder. One accord in decision making. They got together. And, and the Bible says, and then the word one accord is the word homo thumaden. It's used 11 times in the New Testament, 10 times in the book of Acts. It means one mind, one spirit. Homo, the same nature, like, similar. Thumu, Passion or passionate longing, deeper than surface, like a man having a deep passion for his family. Unanimous, one mind, one accord, one purpose. When we think of all of us being in one accord, we think of us coming into a church building and we're singing the same song. We're part of the same denomination. No, no, no. The word is deeper. It goes to the heart. It's people that are joined together, not only outwardly, but at the heart, they're together and they're passionately driven by the same objective. It's a passion that won't let anything divide you. No more than you want to be divided from your family. A like-minded passion. How many know you can take and you can tie two tomcats' tails together and hang them over a clothesline? They don't even know what a clothesline is, huh? It's like my boy, I was watching Steve McQueen bullet with him and Steve McQueen stopped at a phone booth and he said, what's that? <laughs> it's a phone booth. If Superman was alive today, he'd have no place to change. <laughs> right? You can take a line and you can hang two Tomcats you could tie their tails together and you have a union, but you don't have unity. I just described some church boards. No unity. Listen to me. Externally together, but eternally not. When you get past the externals and you hit the chord of unity, you begin to harmonize with heaven. And when you begin to harmonize with heaven, that's when God comes and he gets involved. And God likes that tune. You want to see power? You get together in unity with your wife. You don't need a bunch of folks praying. You get together in unity and you begin to pray. And you come together. And you fight for those babies. You fight for your children. You fight for your grandchildren. You get with you begin to pray in unity. God, He gets involved. 
Because he likes that song. He likes that tune. Unity brings the power of God. When you have division, you can have moments. But when you have real unity, the Bible says in Acts 2.46, and they continued. Not just one accord, but they continued. Interesting word. Prokoterio, it means to be strong. It means to be steadfast. It means to busy oneself. It means not to quit. In the book of Acts, the church didn't quit in the good times. It didn't quit in the bad times. They made up their minds that nothing was going to stop them. They got together externally. They got together internally. They had a made-up mind. Acts 1 and 14, and they continued. Acts 2 46, they continued. Acts 2, 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, and we given ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Acts chapter 8, verse 13, Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed at the signs and wonders. The Hebrew I mean, when you look at that language, it's so picturesque when it, when it gives a word. But when you look at the Greek, it breaks it up with more than just one word. You look at the words for unity, and, and you put them together, and you see one accord, and, and you see continually. The Roman political system wasn't going to stop them. Antagonistic Hebrew Pharisees weren't going to stop them. Petty grievances were not going to stop them. Personality differences couldn't hold them back. All offenses they laid aside to get the job done. They laid everything down to pursue its purpose and they focused on God and his mandate and they turned the known world upside down because they had purpose. And they got together with people with the like purpose. I tell you, if I was a businessman, I'd be taking these notes. I tell you what, I'd call my whole staff in. I'd call all my workers in and say, we're going to be in unity. We're going to stand in unity. When, when you come together and see that it's not about you, it's about team. You know, and my last point is this. You have a purpose. You surround yourself with people of like purpose. And then you see your purpose fulfilled. And when you are seeing purpose fulfilled, what you're seeing as believers is the purposes of, of God. The purposes of God. Man, when Paul was saved and the word spread like wildfire, the religious leaders, they said, we got to kill this guy. And so they're, they're hunting Paul. And, and Paul now is, is taking this stand and he's, he's preaching the gospel. And the very guy that once hated the things of God as far as the New Testament is that he was going to write. Well, he was there coming against the church, coming against the way, coming against the believers. And now they're coming against him and they're going to kill him. And, and Paul, one night, these assassins were coming to take his life and some folks came and they put Paul in a basket and the Bible says they were using ropes and they lowered him over the side. And he escaped and he went on to write one-third of the New Testament. The Bible doesn't tell us who these Christians were. 
It fascinates me. The rope holders. The rope holders. And, and Paul writes about these rope holders, and he said they risked their lives for him. They waved no banners. They blew no trumpets. They demanded no applause. But without them, the work of God couldn't be done. And I think about Randy. I think about Roger. I think about Kenny Jeff. I, I think about Jenny. I think about Alex and, and Doug and, and Dave and, and all the wives that pull behind the scenes the intercessors that have been praying during the service. You, the rope holders that support our ministry every month so we can be doing what we do in the schools. Sometimes there's no applause, no appreciation for you. People don't see what some of you do behind the scenes. But mark my words, there's going to come a day when those that stood in the limelight that everybody knew and everybody was talking about their platform ministry and all the things they accomplished, well, they got a lot of their honor in this earth. But the rope holders, they're going to be called to the front. <laughs> and God's going to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Thank God for those that come alongside. They serve. They give. You know, the kingdom of God is different from the world. The world is scratch your way, claw your way to the top. But the kingdom of God is serve. And you serve, and you serve, and you serve. Not to get recognition, not to be seen. And all of a sudden, God grabs you while you're serving, and he takes you and he puts you in a place that you know you don't deserve to be in. I mean, I, I go out here and I look at this facility and all you've accomplished. I remember standing with Pastor when it was an empty field. <laughs> I, I remember some of you that were here. And John and I used to go work out and talk about the dreams of what God was going to do. And all of a sudden, you look, and there's a Christian school. You look around, and there's another building going up, and there's more people coming to Christ. And it's like you're here, and the next thing you're here, and you're going, how, how did I get here? And God said, because you were faithful with the little things. Champions, Vince Lombardi said, are made by inches. And sometimes it's just taking a step. As uh, Kenny comes and I close, I, 10 years ago, I've been, I've been doing schools for 30 years. I, I'm going to tell you how you know when you're getting old. is when a principal calls you and says, Donnie, will you come and speak at my school? I heard you. And, and not when he was a teacher. No, no, no. No, no, no. If he said, I was a teacher, and now I've been promoted. Oh, that was, that was 10 years ago when I was hearing that. And this is what he says. I want you to come and speak at my school. I heard you. And I said, well, where'd you hear me? He said, when I was in seventh grade. <laughs> now he's a principal. 30 years, 7 million students later, 
10 years ago. Now, I'm not just saying this for effect, but 10 years ago, God had put in my heart that I was going to preach the gospel on the campus in the public schools in Northern California. Now, you can get away with that in the South. I mean, I've had principals come up to me in the South and say, you going to say anything about God today? And I said, sir, I'm trying to get a read on him. He said, well, if you don't, I will. I said, okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> now, we get to California, and I've got the ACLU almost in every assembly with a pad and notebook waiting for me to use some religious overtones so they could bring lawsuit. We were in Turlock, California, and three lawyers were there from the ACLU. And I said, isn't it wonderful the ACLU is here today? I said, they believe so much in what we're doing to help students. They have come today to just applaud me and what I'm doing to help you. Let's give a big hand to the ACLU today and the lawyers that hate my guts and like for me to be killed. But anyway, I, I just love on them. I'm not, I'm not going to... Hey, listen, I got better things to do than try to fight with people and make them my enemies. I, I just love on them. And I'm sure there's probably some lawyers in the ACLU who are wonderful. But usually the ones that are following me don't want me there. And they're looking for an excuse to keep me out of the schools. But you see, there's a problem, a big problem. Where I live in Stockton, California, there were 71 homicides last year. They've cut back on the police because we're the largest city in America that's gone bankrupt. Ten years ago, God said, you're going to preach the gospel on campuses. Your air game, I told you last time with, with Pastor Stan, and I said our air game is great. In other words, our assembly, we can go in and rock it. We got kids quitting gangs, turning drugs in. But our ground game, the follow-up after we're there, we, we got to do a better job. So I had this thought last year, let's bring the youth group to the campus. I, I, I don't say this to be mean. We got wonderful youth pastors with their doors locked, praying for revival. Oh God. And we got campuses just real close by that are more open than you and I ever imagined. But it's just the way you approach it. So I got a call about three months ago from a high school in Stockton. And it was the counselor. And she said, would you come over and meet with me? And I said, yes. So I went and I sat with this woman. And she began to share with me there was a gang fight a week. Girls, uh, they call it being sexed in, where they will sleep with three or four boys to get into a gang. I mean, I could go on. And you would sit here this morning and you would absolutely break. And I'm sitting here. And, and this counselor with tears running down her cheeks, she said, we got a gang fight a week. Just a couple weeks back, gang members jumped the principal and beat him up. Would you come and speak? I said, yes, ma'am. And then I just went for it. I said, I'll come and speak. When the bell rings at 2.08, I said, um, let me invite the students to stay after school that would like to. And I'd like to share Jesus Christ with them. She said, well, i, I got to clear that with the principal. I said, well, I'll come. I said, because once that bell rings, I said, school's over. Just give me a room. So she went to the principal, and I met with him. 
And he said, absolutely. We'll give you a room if you'll come. 2,100 students. This is just two weeks ago. He was afraid to bring more than 300 in the theater at a time because of the violence on campus and the gangs. And I, I told him, I said, listen, I said, let the whole school come. But kids, students are going to be so moved that they're going to go out and tell their friends. And I said, don't worry about it. I said, Darwin and I can hold them. It's not my first rodeo. I said, I can do it. I said, I've been in the inner city of Detroit, Baltimore. I said, I've been to New York. I said, I, I've Oakland, California. I don't have to go any further to tell you. I, I can, I, Darwin and I will we'll be okay. And he trusted me. And he brought the students in. And we did the first assembly, and they rushed us. They literally rushed us. And we're standing with students all around us weeping, telling us what they're going through, girls that have been giving themselves away sexually, young men that are in gangs that wanted to get out of the gangs. And we're just standing there, and we're looking at the very students, and we're counseling them and loving on them. And the principal walked over to me, and he said, uh, he said, can you stay for lunch? He said, you can walk around campus. You can, he said, don't leave. He said, just stay here. I said, okay. Well, see, I told that principal that day, I said, I'm going to make you a hero today. He said, what are you talking about? I said, I'm going to bring you forward in front of the whole student body and lay you on a bed of nails. I said, I'm going to break a block of concrete off you. I said, I won't hurt you. I said, I know what I'm doing. And he looked at me and he said, really? I said, yeah. And when I, I brought that principal up on the stage and I put him on that bed of nails and uh, before I broke that block off him, I pulled him up and I said, Mr. Ganya, I said, I want you to answer me a question. I said, why do you stay at this school? And he looked at all the students and he said, because I love you and I believe in you and you're beautiful people. You think that in an inner city school that that would sound corny? Those kids started clapping. So I put him down, I broke a block off him, and he stood up and he lifted his hands. The kids were cheering for him. I just hugged him. And like I said, we finished the assembly, the kids were all gathered around. We ate lunch, council kids came back, did the second assembly. He put every kid in the school in there, it was packed out. It's getting around two o'clock. The assembly's coming to an end. And I said, uh, Students, bell's going to ring at 208. ROCT room, right over here. Dara and I and the team are going to be over there. And we'd like to share with you our personal faith in Jesus Christ. And there was this girl that was standing off to my right, African-American. And uh, I looked at her and, and I said, What's your name? And she said, Lucretia. I said, Lucretia. I said, um, are you going to come to the meeting? She goes, yeah. She goes, but I want to sing you a song. And I said, do you know a gospel song? She goes, oh, yeah. I have this on my phone. I don't even know if it'll work. Right? Where I 
we're in a public school. We're in a theater. I said, Lucretia, I said, um, could you come and sing another song? And I turned to all the students. I said, we're going to be in the ROCT room. And I started walking, and I turned, and I watched students begin to follow us. We went in that room. It was packed out. The principal just looked at me. He said, when I shut the door, I don't want to know what happens in here. And then we preached the gospel. I left at 6 o'clock that night. I got there at the school at 7.15. Cindy gets a call last week from McNair. McNair calls. And they said, can you come? And the principal says to you know, us, he says, After school, we'll give you the gymnasium. And I said, is there a Bible club on campus? He said, no. Would you like to start one? I'm trying to find youth pastors. Because you can't go on the south side and say, by the way, come on over here. They don't have transportation, most of them, and they wouldn't come. But 10 years ago, God said, you're going to preach the gospel on the campus. And people said to me, it'll never happen. I said, you watch. And so a week and a half ago, you got to pay by your support of missions for a school assembly where the gospel was preached on a high school campus. And guess what? Other schools now are saying, when can you come? You see, you have a purpose. You surround yourself with people of like purpose. And we're getting ready to go to a reception for Kenny, for his wonderful wife and their family. The purpose It doesn't change. He's not leaving you. He, he's an extension of you. And as they go, they go blessed. And the purpose that they're going to fulfill is a part of the kingdom. See, write down your dream. The common thread of greatness is every man or woman that's ever done anything for God they write down their dream and they, tell, they don't take their eyes off the prize America even the church has stopped dreaming we've gone into maintenance we've gone from leadership to committees the eye cannot come off the prize because it's the prize the goal the vision that tells you when you're off course that's when ministries start to wane or churches start to struggle you get your eyes off the prize and that girl, the Keisha, the inner city, in the middle of despair, of sin, she's standing in a gymnasium. My God is awesome. And I'm standing there. 
And you know what? I began to weep. I don't apologize for my tears because I thought, God, today my purpose is being fulfilled. And when that happens, nothing, nothing, there's nothing the world offers that's better than that. There's purpose for your life. God has something for you to do. As we release this family to ministry, did the girls leave? Are they here? They're out back? I, I, I know they'll be out back. I, I just feel light of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. <sighs> Regret is the cancer of life. Every institution has failed America. And, and the engine has stopped in America, not just because of liberal philosophies. Let's not go there and say, oh, it's the left. No, no, no. The engine of America will not run because like other nations, they've tried, but America can't because this nation like Israel was born by the power of God. And America's dying. America's dying. And I'm going to tell you something, church. We've lost our voice because we're trying to legislate morality. And what we've got to do is go in and serve and love people. You see what you're talking about, Donnie? We can't curse the darkness. We've got to turn a light on. And because this generation is hurting, what are they going to do? What are they going to do in Stockton? They're going to call right now the God-haters? Who are they going to call? Who are they going to bring in? Hire more counselors? That little girl gave herself away just because she wanted to be in a gang, because she wanted to belong, needs to hear that there's purpose for her life, and there's destiny. That young man that's gang-banging, that's going to end up in prison. Unless he has an encounter with God, who, who's going to help him? ACLU lawyer? A world in crisis needs a church in revival. We have the answer. So all we got to do is go and love people. They can say what they want. They can do what they want. I don't like the way you're doing it. Well, how are you doing it? I'm not doing it. Well, I like the way I'm doing it a lot better than the way you're not doing it. So go ahead. Take your shot. I'll be in a school next week. Be holding a little girl in my arms. I don't have a dad. I have a gang member walk up to me and say, Mister, I've never had a man hug me. Would you hug me? For is there not a cause, not a purpose?